Let's uh, pray. Heavenly Father, uh, thank you for your word. Uh, thank you for your prophet Isaiah. I pray that uh, unlike so much of uh, the generation in his day, that you would give us ears to hear and eyes to see uh, and soft hearts to uh, receive your word and to believe it and hold fast. Uh, and this is only uh, through the salvation that's in your son, uh, the new covenant in his blood uh, and uh, by the power of your spirit. And so we pray that your spirit would be with us and that you'd teach us and instruct us and build up uh, our local body uh, and the whole body of Christ and all the world and all ages. And uh, we pray that this would be uh, to your glory and the glory of your son. And we uh, ask these things in his name. Amen. Okay, so back in Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 7. And now last week we were kind of continuing our overview with the, uh, the book and how it all fits together in the three sections. Uh, and do you remember uh, the primary empire uh, for the context? <laughs> yeah, for the first, first part. Uh, then you have the narrative interlude chapters 36 through 39, and then 40 through 66, uh, the second empire that's centrally in focus, Babylon. Yeah. Uh, looking forward to the captivity in which uh, Hezekiah's sons uh, would go uh, in the people uh, and uh, after showing off all that, uh, everything in the temple and his house to impress uh, the, the Babylonians. Uh, and then we uh, worked through uh, just doing a bit of review of the sections uh, chapters 1 through 12. Uh, maybe we'll talk a little more uh, later on uh, as, as we uh, move on and go through this section. Uh, you then have chapters uh, 12 through 27 and uh, with the judgment against the nations, and Israel comes in there too. Uh, in 24 through 27, looks kind of at the, it's the culmination of, of all of these things. And even there you find, uh, you find, a song or songs to Yahweh, uh, but God's universal worldwide uh, judgment uh, in that. It's kind of like you have this capstone song too in, in chapter 12 uh, as you move through these, uh, these sections. Uh, and then, uh, so 20, or I guess that'd be chapters 13, well, chapters 1 through 12, 13, 13 through 27, with 24 through 27 being kind of the capstone of God's worldwide judgment uh, in salvation of his people. And then 28 through 35 is kind of the third uh, major unit uh, in this first Assyrian uh, context of the Assyrian Empire, the Assyrian uh, threat against Israel uh, and God's people that he will uh, deliver them from uh, in chapters then uh, in the, the narrative 36, 37, and then you're transitioning to the Babylonians 38, 39, uh, Hezekiah's sin, you see, uh, he almost dies and uh, he's given a sign, but then he asks for another sign and <laughs> see a little unbelief. Uh, and then we spoke about how in chapters 40 uh, through 66, uh, within chapter 48, uh, at the end of 48, and then I think the end of 57, uh, there's no peace for the wicked, uh, says my God. Um, and then at the end of 66 again. And so these themes pulling all the way through 
from, uh, from the very first chapter, which sets the stage for all of Isaiah. And so I think you can break up even these two major sections with uh, the Assyrian context and the Babylonian context uh, into three major units. And you can break those down uh, even, even further. which that could make with the, the middle section, maybe about uh, seven units, but uh, you can subdivide until you eventually get to the, the very sentences and words that, that build it all up. So, and so we just got through uh, where we, we uh, saw uh, God's uh, judgment against the vineyard, the song of judgment, uh, the six woes, God first stretching out his hand in judgment against his people in the past with the earthquake that came upon them. Uh, some, uh, at least a couple, uh, couple decades or so before this, a couple few. Uh, and then his arm still outstretched, so two outstretched hands. And then you see these people coming in uh, that will come in judgment, which we'll see are the Assyrians. That's going to be further revealed uh, as we look and read through tonight. And that went into Isaiah's commissioning uh, in chapter 6, where we saw that, uh, that in the day uh, that just uh, first verse, in the year that King Uzziah died. In this context, in time, in the year that King Uzziah died, uh, it'd be right around uh, 740 uh, B.C., I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. And so, although King Uzziah dies, uh, Isaiah sees, uh, they call out, holy, 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 the house is shaken, filled with smoke, vision of theophany, even kind of like on Mount Sinai. He said, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, Yahweh of hosts. Yahweh is their King. And so, the King in the Davidic line dies. Yahweh is still enthroned. Uh, he still sits uh, on his throne, uh, uh, Surrounded on each side by the, by the seraphim who cry out, holy, holy, holy uh, is Yahweh of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Uh, in in uh, this uh, worship setting, uh, this enthronement setting, Yahweh still remains on the throne. Uh, and his sin is atoned for, a man of unclean lips who dwells in the midst of a people of unclean lips, uh, unlike uh, so often, like in Islam, they almost look at their prophets as if they're sinless. Uh, Muhammad is the, the very standard of righteousness. And now, uh, you see, like with a true prophet, there, there, is, there is a moral character, you know, to them. But they're sinners. Uh, they're, they're still sinners. They're, they're not uh, perfect. And uh, Isaiah, uh, his sin was atoned for by these uh, by these. Heavenly, uh, heavenly beings uh, that God uh, created. Uh, and so then uh, God commissions him. Uh, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And he said, uh, 
Oh, then I said, uh, here I am, send me. He said, go and say to this people, keep on hearing, but do not understand. Uh, and so this is Isaiah's mission. This is his commissioning as a prophet. By and large, his word will not be received by the people. And Jesus even draws on this language for the teaching of his parables that are both to reveal, but to conceal. Uh, and for hard hearts, uh, it conceals uh, the truth because either they're too impatient or unwilling to even listen to it so as to uh, understand, or if they mentally grasp what he's saying, uh, they reject it uh, because they're hard-hearted. Yeah. yeah, I think you know, some people, they want to say that, oh, people believe if they see a miracle, if they see something happen, but I know mm -hmm. you preached mm -hmm. on the rich man and Lazarus, and Jesus said, even if they see someone raised from the dead, you know, they won't even believe. Yeah, so, yeah. It's all a kind of interesting, it talks about here about the, the angels and how they touched his lips with the, um, what is it, the coal or mm -hmm. and then and their guilt and sin was atoned for. Now, yeah. yeah. Is that an allusion to Christ where Christ was the ultimate sacrifice and he went to the heavenly altar by his own blood? Well, it's, it's certainly too much into that. Or, I mean, it ties it ties to this, uh, and we're going to see this in Genesis, uh, in the the Torah. <laughs> At first, when you read the author of Hebrews, and he talks about, well, it's made according to a pattern. You might be like, really? Is that heavenly pattern? No, really, in the Torah, it was a heavenly. It was according to a heavenly pattern. <laughs> uh, there, there's all this imagery of God enthroned uh, uh, in heaven. Uh, and so uh, there, there's this, uh, this element where you even see like with uh, Solomon where they build the, the temple and they're like, well, uh, this temple can't contain you. <laughs> you know, God, and you see like in the Psalms uh, that God is enthroned in heaven, that the earth is his footstool. Uh, uh, and you see this temple imagery, the, the creation as uh, the temple as God's uh, dwelling place uh, to, to dwell in. Uh, with the creatures uh, that he's made. And so uh, a lot of it draws back to where you have this, you have this also in the beginning of Jeremiah, you, you have a throne, uh, throne room setting of, of God enthroned. Uh, and also in Ezekiel, so these three uh, major prophets, uh, really for the, I mean, the, the length of like their, their books, uh, maybe creation of their ministries, but uh, just, I mean, the, their books, like compared to the 12, are lengthy. Um, and so all of them have a similar sort of scene, like with their commissioning. Uh, and so uh, the, the, the picture that you get, like with the tabernacle and with the human priestly system, you have elements in the Torah where it's revealed that there's, uh, there's a greater uh, heavenly reality mm -hmm. uh, in, in worship that, that goes on in heaven. And so we're getting a, a glimpse of this, uh, which then you have the unfolding in the expectation of, uh, I mean, the sacrifices couldn't perfect them year after year of, of the new covenant. Uh, and even like Isaiah 53 and such, the, 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 there's a, a greater uh, atonement uh, that's coming. And so, uh, yeah, some, some of these elements are then drawn on, like in, in the New Testament, Jesus is, 
He's the eternal son who comes down from, uh, from heaven uh, and intercedes in the very presence uh, of, of the father. Uh, it just kind of throws me off a little bit where the, the angel can atone for the sin by what he's done. But it's, <laughs> it's, it's God's altar. Yeah, yeah. Really is, I think, what, we, what we're supposed to allude to is here's God's heavenly altar. It, it, it'd be very much in line with uh, the tabernacle. God made provision. He said on the day of atonement, uh, they will atone and I will forgive them. And they did. And he did. And yet still, it's year after day, you know, day after day, week after week with the sacrifice, monthly sacrifices and all their feasts, uh, year after year, uh, the seven years, the jubilees, the 49, 50 years. Uh, and, and so that leaves something more it, 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 it didn't it didn't perfect them and the circumcision of the heart yeah he circumcised hearts under the old covenant wasn't for all the people though it wasn't the whole nation uh and so that's where you get the the new covenant and so i'm sure it's very much here you you have you have this provision at this time and they could he isaiah could believe that god forgave his sins that they were atoned for uh but uh knowing uh, in, the, in the further revelation that God one day would make a once-for-all sacrifice that would perfect them for all time. And so in light of that, he made these uh, provisions at the time that they could believe him. Uh, and so it's not like an Israelite on the Day of Atonement. Um, I mean, the, the atonement, he said, I will atone and I won't forgive their sins. And so they could believe God for that. Uh, that they did and would, but that was kind of more of a, a provisional uh, or, or a shadow. And so let's just quickly read uh, again through this commissioning, uh, just to uh, remember. Uh, and he said, go and say to this people, keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy and blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their hearts, and turn and be healed. Now that's shocking if you don't recognize that God, uh, the very foundation of his throne is justice, and that God is right and just and holy and even loving to judge sin and evil and rebellion and to recognize uh, the, the level of wickedness of the people who rebelled against him. Uh, for, for many, God just loves all people equally and is just wishing, he's a universalist and just wants everyone to be saved, but they resist his will and so he can't save them. Uh, but here you actually see uh, that in this context, uh, make these people dull and their eye, ears heavy and blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. Lest. Oh, we don't want that with this sinful and wicked people. God's finally bringing judgment upon them after their hundreds of years of rebellion against him, uh, after uh, God continuously uh, extends mercy and grace and uh, salvation 
uh, to them and grants them repentance. Uh, he's, he's finally bringing judgment on uh, this people and he's perfectly just and righteous to do so. In fact, salvation is getting what we don't deserve. Justice is what we do deserve. God would be perfectly just and right to uh, condo- condemn all sinners to eternal hell and damnation. Uh, and he would be perfectly just uh, and right uh, to, to do so. That's, that's what we all uh, deserve. Uh, and so uh, Isaiah's commissioning, though, uh, you, you hear that. Think of having to go out and preach and proclaim a message that God says, basically, no one's going to listen to you. This is only going to harden them and make them angry, and they're, they're not going to listen to you. And that's your mission. How much better to be sent with the, uh, the good news, knowing that God will call his people to himself. <laughs> and we'll see, there's, there's a remnant who believes, there are disciples who believe in Isaiah, but by and large, this is what characterizes his ministry. And Jesus draws on a lot of this uh, with, uh, with his own people who by and large rejected him. And so Isaiah naturally asks, uh, then I said, how long, O Lord? Does he have to preach uh, and, and speak to this people and proclaim this message uh, that will harden them? How long, O Lord? And he said, until cities lie waste without inhabitant and houses without people and the land is a desolate waste and Yahweh removes people far away and the forsaken places are many in the midst of the land. And though a tenth remain in it, that'd be a remnant, wouldn't it? It will be burned again, like a terebinth or an oak, whose stump remains when it is felled. Uh, the holy seed is its stump, uh, or its stump is a holy seed. Um, the, the focus is on the, the holy seed uh, the, uh, that's characteristic or identified with the, the stump that remains. And so you have this imagery of uh, a tree, trees being felled, down, cut down, and we kind of saw last week that this is going to be pulled all the way throughout with the judgment, but then with the remnant that comes forth uh, and with the Davidic heir. Uh, and we're going to see this as we go right into now that Isaiah is commissioned of uh, being sent uh, to, uh, to Ahaz. Mm-hmm. Mr. Tyler, I think in one of Daniel's prophecies with Nebuchadnezzar, wasn't there kind of a similar imagery where Nebuchadnezzar was this big tree and then and they like chop it down and bind it up and there wasn't much left, but God would bring it back and preserve him like through that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You have similar similar imagery. But a lot of times, I mean, it can be used for the people. Uh, they're spoken of like God's pleasant planting. Uh, they'll be planted along streams of living water. And uh, you get that imagery in the Torah and numbers and uh, the blessings and with Balaam and such like that. Uh, and sometimes for rulers, uh, rulers spoken as great mighty trees uh, very stately and strong and uh, uh, powerful and prominent. Uh, and, and some of like the, the cedars and such that they'd have in uh, Lebanon and uh, throughout the region. So, yeah, that, that's a good uh, connection. We'll see some of that with the kings uh, coming up too. Yeah. And so uh, even peoples and uh, kings. Uh, and then sometimes just 
trees, you know, <laughs> deal with uh, trees and uh, even maybe see some of the practices of the Assyrians and such, sometimes cutting down trees for a uh, siege warfare or laying waste to the land and uh, things like that as well. And so now uh, we have a, a transition. Uh, remember these phrases we've spoken about when they come at the beginning uh, of a sentence, uh, one of these uh, temporal clauses uh, where it creates a, a temporal reference frame, frame of reference. Uh, chapter 7, verse 1. In the days of Ahaz, uh, the son of Jotham, son of Uzziah, king of Judah. So now we have a new context. Uh, the time frame is updated uh, going from uh, King Uzziah dying now all the way to, uh, to Ahaz. Uh, as I recall with the timeline from uh, Eugene Merrill and I think Chris McKinney, I think up until 7, maybe until 735, Ahaz uh, was... Uh, Co or vice regent uh, with his father Jotham. I think uh, Jotham uh, may have died in 735. Uh, and, uh, it was like that too with Uzziah. Jotham was uh, co vice regent, and Uzziah had become God struck him with leprosy, and so uh, his son ended up taking a prominent uh, role in the kingdom. And so a lot of times there are these overlapping co or vice regencies with their sons, uh, but here it's going to be. Uh, in the context uh, with, uh, we're going to see uh, the uh, Aram uh, and the, the Arameans, uh, basically corresponding to Syria today, uh, with the capital in Damascus, uh, that uh, they and their king are going to come with the northern kingdom, Israel, sometimes called Ephraim because of the very prominent tribe uh, from Joseph's descendants, uh, just to the, the north of Judah and the hill country, uh, th that uh, they're going to form a coalition uh, and uh, try to attack and siege uh, Jerusalem uh, in, the, in this context. Uh, and so that took place in uh, 735 uh, BC uh, when this uh, ongoing threat uh, is, is occurring. And actually, just to get a picture of this, let's go ahead and read through the text. I, I, I want to kind of see, uh, you see an overview, a picture, uh, even though we had some other discussion. So we'll pick up wherever we do next week. Uh, but I just want you to see the, the bigger picture, see so a little, little context. And I want you to notice, uh, especially as we have the introduction of the setting, uh, the problem uh, with these uh, these kings, these rulers, uh, Rezin of Damascus, uh, of Aram, uh, the Arameans, uh, to the north. Uh, uh, and at that time, uh, they were really kind of the, the prominent local uh, nation in this region. Uh, and then, uh, going together with uh, Pekka, uh, who's king of Ephraim, or Israel, the northern uh, kingdom, and so we're going to see the problem as they come uh, to siege and attack Jerusalem. Uh, the people tremble at that, at which point uh, Yahweh is going to send uh, his prophet Isaiah, uh, who is commissioned uh, no more than four, five years before this, 
uh, and he is going to send him with his boy. Uh, his, he has one boy at this point who's going to be assigned to the people, She'ar Yashuv, uh, She'ar Yashuv. Uh, a remnant shall return. Uh, that's what his name is. And so he's going to send him to exhort them, uh, at which point he is going to offer a sign to Ahaz. Uh, and then we'll see uh, the sign that's given when Ahaz uh, declined, uh, declines it. So uh, we'll begin in verse 1. In the days of Ahaz, the son of Jotham, son of Uzziah, king of Judah, Rezin, the king of Syria, or Aram, and Pekah, the son of Remaliah, of the king of Israel, came up to Jerusalem to wage war against it, but could not yet mount an attack against it. When the house of David was told, Syria is in league with Ephraim, uh, the heart of Ahaz and the heart of his people shook as trees of the forest shake before the wind. See that tree imagery again? Uh, and Yahweh said to Isaiah, Go out to meet Ahaz, you and She'ar Yashuv, your son, at the end of the conduit of the upper pool, on the highway to the washer's field. Uh, and now this uh, conduit of the upper pool uh, was uh, likely to the northwest uh, of uh, the, the palace uh, in the, the temple. Uh, and so uh, it would bring uh, water into Jerusalem uh, from the north. Uh, it would just be uh, north-northwest of the uh, temple, uh, most likely. Um, talk about that a bit more, uh, but there's a... Uh, what's uh, the scholar's name uh, in... Uh, Israel, uh, for some reason it's slipping me at this point, he, he's one of the most prominent uh, archaeologists and uh, 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 architectural illustrators uh, who's been uh, working on these things for, for decades. So uh, he sends uh, Isaiah, go out to meet Ahaz, uh, you and Sha'ar Yashuv, your son, a remnant shall return, at the end of the conduit of the upper pool on the highway to the washer's field. And so Ahaz is probably looking at the, the water supply. And say to him, Be careful, be quiet. Do not fear, and do not let your heart be faint. Because of these two smoldering stumps of firebrands, at the fierce anger of Rezin and Syria, and the son of Remaliah, king of Israel. Because Syria and with Ephraim, and the son of Remaliah has devised evil against you, saying, Let us go up to Judah and terrify it, and let us conquer it for ourselves, and set up the son of Tabil as king in the midst of it. Thus says the Lord God, It shall not stand, it shall not come to pass. For the head of Syria is Damascus, the capital. And the head of Damascus is Rezin, the king. And within 65 years, Ephraim will be shattered from being a people. And the head of Ephraim is Samaria, the capital. And the head of Samaria is the son of Remaliah. If you are not firm in faith, 
you will not be firm at all. Again, Yahweh spoke to Ahaz. Ask a sign of Yahweh your God. Let it be deep as Sheol or high as heaven. But Ahaz said, I will not ask and I will not put Yahweh to the test. And he said, Hear then, O house of David, is it too little for you to weary men that you weary my God also? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel, God with us. He shall eat curds and honey when he knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good. For before the boy knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land whose two kings you dread will be deserted. Yahweh will bring upon you and upon your people and upon your father's house such days as have not come since the day that Ephraim departed from Judah, the king of Assyria. And let's stop there for now. Uh, the prophecy continues four times in that day, in that day, in that day, in that day, uh, talking about what will happen with the coming king uh, of Assyria. And so you see this threat that comes upon Ahaz, upon the people, the house of David, uh, and they're trembling. And then he sends Isaiah, his commissioned prophet, uh, to exhort him uh, to, uh, to hold fast, uh, to believe, uh, to stand firm and not fear uh, these men, uh, these kings, which leads uh, to the issue of the sign, uh, which Ahaz rejects, but Yahweh gives him one. Uh, anyway, and we already see a little bit of a glimpse there that following, following the, uh, the virgin uh, that's spoken about here, uh, the Alma, there's already more starting to come and uh, talking about the king of Assyria. And if you read Matthew, I didn't read about a king of Assyria in Matthew, you know, in Jesus' day. And so the, there's a little more, uh, a little more going on as we can already uh, get, a, get a little uh, foreglimpse, foretaste of. And so uh, through, through the rest of this, you then have the rest of the, uh, the prophecy that's proclaimed you'll see that, yes, there'll be salvation uh, from these uh, two kings, from Aram, from Israel, the northern kingdom. But judgment is also going to come, which will lead us into, uh, straight into uh, chapter 8 uh, with, uh, uh, with uh, Isaiah and the, the unfolding of this uh, sign uh, in Isaiah's own day and then projecting uh, into the future as we get into chapter uh, 9. So let's go back to the very beginning. And so in the days of Ahaz, the son of Jotham, the son of Uzziah, king of Judah, uh, and there uh, we already spoke about uh, during the reign of Uzziah uh, over Judah, uh, he had a long reign with his son Jotham, uh, and Jeroboam II had a very long reign in Israel. And they were some of the most prosperous times in Israel's history. Uh, going back to the time of uh, David and Solomon. Uh, and so for Uzziah to die uh, would have been 
uh, could have been seen as uh, very troubling uh, for the people because they had the stability uh, for, uh, for all of this time. Uh, and even during that time, uh, really, uh, Aram uh, was maybe even more like a vassal state uh, to, uh, to Judah and to, to Israel. Uh, and I think, uh, as Eugene Merrill says to Jeroboam II and Israel to the north, uh, they were the very prominent nations in here. Uh, and think what the Assyrians, I don't remember if it was the year 853, I could be mistaken, uh, but there is a battle at Carchemish uh, to the north near the Euphrates uh, that put a stop on a resurgent Assyria, uh, uh, a growing uh, empire and nation to the north. Uh, and in that vacuum, these nations were allowed to thrive for a while longer and following the time of Jonah and uh, such like that, where you, you see the Assyrians even repent for, for a time. Uh, but now, uh, after like the death of, of uh, Uzziah uh, and following Jotham, uh, the uh, Arameans, uh, Aram, or they, they put Syria here uh, with Rezin, uh, they became the dominant uh, central power of these smaller nations in the land between Mesopotamia to the north and Egypt uh, to the south. Uh, these great civilizations. So in this land uh, between, uh, in, uh, through this land, we, we even look at map a little bit, uh, if not this week, then next week. Uh, you have the desert to the east of Israel. You have the ocean to the west. Is this big thoroughfare for trade, uh, for political activity, military activity, uh, for well, commerce, travel, uh, migration. Uh, and so... God had placed them at this very central location between the continents, Europe, Asia, Africa, and these great, uh, these great civilizations and powers in Egypt, Mesopotamia, uh, and even later ones that would arise, uh, like the Greco-Macedonians and the Romans and uh, Persians more to the northeast. And so uh, of these nations here, uh, Rezin and Aram have become... Uh, a dominant power, uh, and uh, they've uh, allied uh, with Israel, with the Northern Kingdom, uh, and uh, they were forming a coalition uh, against uh, this growing Assyrian uh, threat, uh, which Ahaz and Judah uh, were about the only ones who hadn't joined in their, uh, as uh, Merrill calls it, their Syro-Palestinian uh, coalition against uh, against the Assyrian threat uh, and empire uh, to the north. So they're, they're looking to rout them another time uh, and to hold them off, uh, whether working with Egypt uh, or uh, these uh, central uh, nations like the, uh, the Philistines, uh, the Edomites, the Moabites, uh, the, the Phoenicians of Tyre and Sidon, uh, who are Canaanite peoples. Uh, and so you see here, uh, in the days of Ahaz, the son of Jotham, son of Uzziah, king of Judah, Rezin, the king of Syria, and Pekah, the son of Remaliah, uh, the king of Israel, came up to Jerusalem to wage war against it, but could not yet mount an attack against it. And now Pekah, uh, here in uh, Judah and Israel, 
Judah had one line from David after the time of Saul. In uh, one of Saul's, he had one descendant that tried to take some power, uh, uh, Ish uh, Boshet, uh, for, for a time, but wasn't all that successful. But through the Davidic line, there's only one lineage. And now Atalia, the, the wicked queen, tried to step in and take power and kill the whole Davidic line. But there's been one uh, Davidic line, uh, and so it is, uh, all the way through Zedekiah, although you have a couple, it's maybe Jehoahaz and Zedekiah, who don't have descendants. It's not through them, uh, but ends up being through uh, uh, Jehoiakim. Uh, the, uh, uh, the, the Davidic line as it uh, continues and goes to, uh, uh, to Jesus uh, and even picks up with, um, with oh, on tip my tongue, uh, who was contemporary of Ezra in Nehemiah, a Davidic descendant. Why? Zerubbabel? Yes, uh, Zerubbabel. Uh, very good. Thank you. Um, and so it picks up, uh, picks up back with, uh, back with him. Uh, but, and so you have uh, 21 kings, uh, last maybe Zedekiah, who wasn't totally considered like legitimate or whatever, but you, you have this one Davidic line. For Israel, uh, you end up having a, a total of 10 lines, uh, different family lines. Uh, in Pekah, uh, he would be uh, basically uh, the ninth. Uh, and he had, uh, during, during the time, from the time of uh, Jehu, uh, who was God's avenger on the, the line of Ahab, uh, who drove around in his chariot and killing off Ahab's uh, line. Uh, I think he was a general at the time. Uh, after his fourth descendant, Zechariah, Zechariah didn't, reign even a, a year, uh, but died in 753. I think he reigned six months. Uh, and he was killed by Shalom. Uh, and uh, he, he, I think, only reigned uh, one month. And so he, he overthrew uh, Zechariah. Zechariah reigned six months, uh, the last of Jehu's descendants. Uh, Shalom uh, usurped and overthrew him. He reigned one month. Uh, and then Menahem rose up, and Pekah and Menahem seemed to have basically competing, uh, the competing claims uh, to, to reign. Uh, and Pekah, I think, was more from the kind of Gileadite uh, faction, as Merrill says, east of the Jordan. Uh, and so they had competing reigns going on, uh, and uh, Menahem had, had a son, uh, Pekiah, who only reigned for two years or less, and uh, Pekka killed him. And so Pekka is the only one at this point. Uh, that ended in 740, now we're in 735. Uh, Pekka uh, is king over, uh, over Israel. And so they've had, <laughs> the point is, you don't have to remember all this, uh, but just be aware that they had line after line after line. A number of them didn't even have one successor. Uh, and in these final years, from uh, 753, you have Zechariah. Uh, then you have Shalem, 752. And then you have uh, Menahem and Pekah, who are competing. Uh, Menahem's son, Pekiah, 
is eventually uh, killed after two years. Uh, and then 740 on, it's just Pekka. Uh, and <laughs> he won't uh, last all that much longer. By 732, you have the last king uh, of Israel, Hosea, uh, that the, the Assyrians supported for, uh, for a while. And so Pekah is against the Assyrians. Uh, Menahem gave, gave tribute uh, to them and tried to appease them. Uh, but Pekah joins this, uh, this coalition against Assyria. And so uh, they had king after king after king, one, two, three, four, five, six kings uh, just within 30 years. And, and many of them, uh, like we talked about, six months, one month. Uh, and so it led to very turbulent times. And so Aram becomes the dominant power here uh, as Israel's basically crumbling uh, in uh, rebellions, overthrows, insurrections, uh, just politically, uh, morally, uh, spiritually uh, decaying uh, at, at every, uh, every level. Uh, and so uh, it's in this context that they come to attack uh, Judah to put uh, pressure uh, on them. And actually, since we're talking about this, maybe I'll show you very briefly. We'll just set some of the, the stage, uh, and then we'll be able to focus on the text uh, next week. If you want some background, uh, 2 Kings 16 with Ahaz, uh, but I think if you start in 15, you get some of these Israelite kings and others uh, in, in following. Uh, and then I think uh, it's maybe Second Chronicles 28, uh, around, around there uh, with uh, Ahaz. And so you can read about uh, some of these things and uh, these different uh, coalitions and kind of where they, uh, they come from. So then I want to pull up this uh, map. I'll try to. Oh, is it going to appear? Well, you have to pull it back up. Well, maybe we'll look at the, the map uh, next week. Uh, but, yeah, we'll, we'll, look, we'll uh, look at uh, next week. But here with this, uh, this attack and shortly following this, uh, after their attack fails, uh, Aram, and then in cooperation like with the Edomites, they're going to attack to the south at the port of, uh, of Elat, uh, which was an important port for Judah as far as uh, trade uh, and such and uh, connecting up with the uh, sea to the, the south and controlling international uh, different uh, trade routes through the region, uh, military migration. Uh, and so it'd be important for being able to uh, have tolls and to, to make money and uh, trade and uh, such like that and for uh, national security. And so they'll attack to the south. They'll, they'll take this prominent port. Uh, the Philistines are going to attack. Uh, they live along the, uh, the Great Sea or the Mediterranean uh, to the west, southwest. And they're going to attack to the east uh, into the hill country and take uh, a number of uh, the, the border uh, cities uh, away from uh, Judah. And so they're being, uh, they're being hit from the north, trying to attack Jerusalem uh, to the south, uh, from the west, 
Uh, and so all this pressure is being put upon them uh, from uh, this anti-Assyrian coalition uh, because if they're not going to join up, well, they'll just oppose Ahaz, the Davidic king, which what's the northern kingdom cutting off the Davidic line for? With all of God's promises and covenants to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, uh, to David. Uh, and so it shows what, what a, a, a mess things were. And so uh, there's a tremendous amount of pressure. Uh, it's no light thing what's going on uh, when Ahaz and people, uh, looking at it from human perspective, fear uh, these nations uh, around them. And so uh, you see uh, the days of Ahaz, the son of Jotham, son of Uzziah, king of Judah, Arezin, uh, the king of Syria, and Pekah, the son of Remaliah, uh, the king of Israel, came up to Jerusalem to wage war against it, but could not yet mount an attack against it. So they tried, but they failed. Uh, but clearly, uh, you have big problem introduced here uh, right off the bat uh, for which God is going to send uh, his prophet to exhort uh, Ahaz, to exhort uh, the people of Judah uh, and the, the house of David. And so when the house of David was told, Syria is in league with Ephraim, the heart of Ahaz and the heart of his people shook as trees of the forest shake before the wind. You hear that? Uh, the, the heart of Ahaz and the, and the heart of his people <laughs> shook as the trees of the forest shake before the wind. And so it's not just Ahaz. Uh, it's the, the people uh, that are uh, terrified uh, by, uh, uh, from what they've heard, uh, that Syria or Aram is in league with Ephraim. Uh, and the, the ESV has Syria just because it connects more with what people uh, know uh, these days uh, for the, where the land is located. So the heart of Ahaz and the, the heart of his people shook as the trees of the forest shake uh, before their wind, uh, before the wind. And so uh, their reaction to the problem, which kind of complicates matters. And Yahweh said to Isaiah, Go out to meet Ahaz, you and Sha'ar Yashuv, your son, at the end of the conduit of the upper pool on the highway to the washer's field. And say to him, Be careful, be quiet, do not fear, and do not let your heart be faint uh, because of these two smoldering stumps of firebrands. Uh, and so now, uh, as we're going to see, and we're short on time, so won't really be able to get into it. But the sending of Isaiah with his son is very important. Uh, when we look at the sign uh, and we get into uh, chapter 8 uh, and we see Maher Shalal Hashbaz, uh, and we'll see that Isaiah uh, and the, uh, the children that Yahweh has given him are signs and wonders to the, the whole household of Jacob. Uh, it's going to be very important that you have this little boy uh, standing here, uh, very much similar to Hosea, who has three children, take a wife of Hordam, uh, and he has three children. Yahweh names uh, the children. Uh, and here, Isaiah's been commissioned no more than four or five years before this. 
And that this child is named and is a sign and wonder from Yahweh. This his second will be as well. Uh, says that his wife must have been pregnant nine months. Uh, this boy is no more than probably a baby or a toddler. He's a little, little boy, no, no more probably than a few years or so. Uh, old, uh, maybe very young indeed, uh, sent as a sign to Ahaz uh, at this point, a remnant uh, shall return. Uh, and these themes we'll even see uh, as you read uh, throughout, uh, throughout chapter 12, and, and some of them will continue in the book, uh, in the scroll of Isaiah, but especially as you go through chapter 12, uh, when you hear some of these things like remnant, it's connecting back uh, to these signs that are uh, given very much like uh, Hosea's uh, own children. And so uh, Isaiah standing there, whether holding this little boy or standing at his side, he's to go with this, this little boy, uh, which is very interesting uh, as a sign of uh, later some of these signs will be used both for salvation and judgment, for comfort and for uh, warning. Uh, and, and so eventually as you get to the, the end and you see God's final salvation for his people, it becomes a good thing, uh, but because of Ahaz rejecting the sign. And so it's very interesting that he'd send this little boy uh, as, as a sign, uh, whether just a baby or a toddler, uh, little, little boy as a comfort <laughs> for Ahaz and, and for the people. You think of these great mighty kings and uh, people on the, on the scene of history and the Assyrian Empire, uh, which... Uh, the Assyrians, uh, my professor uh, recounted, uh, maybe I've shared with you, uh, that uh, two, two historians uh, talking, my professor is a really good historian uh, himself, uh, that uh, they even likened Assyria. Uh, one said that the Assyrians were the Nazis of ancient times, and the other corrected him and said, no, the Nazis were the Assyrians of modern times, of, of our time. And now, some of that can be overstated because uh, there were a lot of wicked, powerful nations in the 20th century. I mean, you can look at the Japanese Empire. Uh, you can even look at, uh, a lot of people don't even realize that the U.S. was at the very cutting edge of eugenics. Uh, and uh, the several states of the U.S., maybe up to 30 of them, uh, that the Nuremberg laws that were used by the Nazis were uh, largely modeled uh, from the United States, uh, from states like Indiana and California. And so uh, even uh, the U.S. maybe has a lot of blood on their hands as far as uh, some of the, well, many of the events then folded as far as eugenics uh, and even into the, the Holocaust. Uh, but you, you have a lot of powerful nations and stuff. But, uh, I mean, with the, the Nazi menacing threat under Hitler, threatening all the nations around uh, and with their lightning wars, Blitzkrieg, uh, there are a lot of uh, sort of, he's just drawing some of the, the parallels uh, with that, uh, seemingly taking over nation after nation after nation, uh, invading them, overrunning them, uh, which the Assyrians were very much doing, uh, and or even kind of looked at as a model in some ways as sort of lightning war because they would uh, quickly raid and overrun towns and villages and cities and uh, terrorize them. Uh, and were absolutely uh, brutal uh, in, in what they would uh, deal with. And so here, this little boy is sent uh, in the context of the Assyrians we're going to see 
but the Arameans, Israel, all these great nations. Uh, here, God sends his prophet uh, to proclaim his word uh, with the little boy uh, as, a, as a sign. Uh, but uh, any comments, uh, questions uh, before we pick up uh, next week? What was uh, you said also to look at Second Chronicles? Yeah, yeah, I think I think 20. it's chapter uh, twenty-eight uh, that's dealing like with Ahaz, but some uh, some of the context may become before and uh, follow as well. And so, if uh, you read some of that, uh, we'll even see uh, with uh, we're going to see God's going to uh, have uh, two witnesses. Uh, you'll see that Ahaz is one of the most wicked kings that Judah had. I think he even, I think he maybe ends up sacrificing one of his sons, but uh, he ends up making a, part of the rejection of the sign is because he either already did or he was about to turn to Assyria uh, to get in their good graces uh, to uh, handle uh, Aram and uh, the Israel and the surrounding nations uh, because they're betting on the Assyrians. Uh, and uh, he will then also go up to, uh, to Damascus, see the altar there, and uh, these, uh, these two witnesses uh, in chapter, uh, chapter 8. So he has them uh, right on a tablet uh, belonging to Mahir Shalal Hashbaz, and I, uh, it's actually Yahweh speaking, and I will... Uh, get uh, reliable witnesses, Uriah the priest and Zechariah the son of uh, Jeberechiah, uh, to attest for me. Now, Uriah the priest builds this altar that Ahaz sees in Damascus, according to that pattern, uh, moves uh, the altar of Yahweh, I think to the north, to divine from it, to leave it for his divination, and he builds a, a pagan altar. Uriah the priest. So one of Ahaz's guys. And you'll see a, a Zechariah who's the father of Ahaz's wife. Which is almost certainly Zechariah the son of Jeberechiah. So these would have been people who are close and well known to Ahaz uh, that God gets for witnesses uh, to testify uh, to uh, what he's having Isaiah do writing down this uh, name, uh, and some of it a little obscure, but tied with the prophecy that he proclaimed uh, with it. And so you'll see some of this uh, intrigue if, if you read the, uh, the background there. So let's uh, close with prayer. Heavenly Father, uh, thank you uh, for your word. Uh, thank you for, uh, again, for, for your prophet Isaiah and for... Uh, for your Davidic line that uh, you've preserved uh, David's line and all of your covenants and promises uh, despite uh, the sinfulness of man, uh, despite uh, even uh, wicked uh, and evil kings. And I pray that our trust would be in you and in your son, uh, that you'd conform us to his likeness and uh, that you'd grant us uh, repentance from our sins and uh, that we would believe and trust in you and uh, in uh, his finished work. And uh, we thank you uh, that we have a priest in heaven who uh, continually intercedes for us and that uh, he was sacrificed uh, 
uh, once for all, the just for the unjust, uh, that uh, we might be the righteousness of him uh, in, in him. And so uh, we thank you for him and uh, pray that you bring us uh, back together and that we would be able to uh, look uh, and understand uh, this unfolding uh, prophecy in Isaiah's own day uh, that also uh, point forward to your son. So we thank you for him and pray in his name. Amen.